I intend to uh, continue on the uh, line or direction that I was going on um, last week, uh, but there was a request made, and I thought, well, I'll get to it eventually, but as I have approached each day, got closer to today, uh, I decided that I really would respond to uh, a request. Um, so uh, I'm going to start out here. I, I may get more specific later, uh, but I, I'm going to start out here. Um, I want to start out with the principles of biblical interpretation. I want to I want to talk to you about how to study the Word of God and find truth. Uh, there are a couple of basic skills that every child of God needs to have. They're very, they're very fundamental skills. Uh, some people don't ever do anything but read the Bible and. Reading the Word of God, there's a blessing upon those who read the Word. If you go to Revelation chapter 1, the Lord talks about those who are blessed because they have read the words of this prophecy. Just reading the Word, there is a blessing in it. But you cannot possibly go where you need to go in God as a reader of the Word only. You cannot. Uh, I think it's First Timothy 2.15. Uh, it's either First or Second Timothy 2.15. I think it's First Timothy 2.15 says, study. Anybody know the difference between studying and reading? Huge difference between studying and reading. If I'm reading, I'm just taking in information. I'm not particularly uh, focused on either remembering or probing the depths of understanding of what I'm reading. If I'm reading, I, you know, uh, I, I've been doing a lot of research uh, online, trying to understand and get, get caught up with what's called the relevancy movement in Christianity, uh, and which is affecting some of our younger preachers in the United Pentecostal Church. And, uh, I, I, quite frankly, I, I read a couple of articles the other day that, uh, it was like reading a foreign language. Uh, the terms, there were either so many new terms or there were so many terms being used in a context in which I'd never personally seen them, uh, frankly, to, to fully grasp everything the author was saying. Uh, and then I had an email from a guy that was, we've been carrying on this little discussion back and forth. And, and he talked about the fact that this generation doesn't believe in mega narratives. Anybody here know what a mega narrative is? Right. So I went to Google and looked up n mega narratives. And in, is it Wikipedia? Wick, Wicca? Well, I'd rather say wiki because wicca uh, is spelled different and it's uncomfortable for me. So, wikipedia. 
You say Wicca if you want to. I'm not going to anything involved with Wicca. Anyway, uh, I, I, I thought I spoke English. But I read this article in Wikipedia about mega narratives. And quite frankly, I didn't really understand a lot of what I was reading. And because the subject wasn't at, it wasn't urgent to me, I didn't sit there and go through every. Now I I think I could be reasonably conversant if you wanted to talk about mega narratives. Uh, and of course, the the claim is that this generation doesn't believe mega narratives. Well, guess what is a mega narrative? The Bible. Right. So you don't know that they're slamming the book because they're using terms they don't expect you to understand. So anyway, uh, there's a difference between reading and studying to know and understand. There's a big difference. That's why uh, we're doing tests. The tests are not for the purpose of putting you under stress. The tests are for the purpose of, of taking you to a different level. The Bible charges us with being able to give an answer to every man concerning his questions about the hope which is, which is within us. We're supposed to be able to give the world an answer. And can I rephrase that? We're supposed to be able to give the world the answer. Now, I admit to you, here in this area of the country, it's really easy to get lazy dealing with heathens. Because... Most of us fall out of bed in the morning, and hopefully you didn't get hurt this morning when you fell out of bed. Uh, most of us fall out of bed knowing more about the Bible than even some of the most educated people in this area. But what do you do when you end up in a discussion with somebody that actually knows a little book? Uh, we run from them because we don't have an answer. And we're afraid they'll undermine what we have accepted to be true and cannot prove for ourselves. You know, part of the process of maturity is this. When you have a child, you don't, you don't expect that child to understand before they, they obey. You're the parent. You say it. They obey it. You can't, you can't possibly explain everything having to do with your, your commands. Why? Because with a child, once you start trying to explain, you have opened a debate. I have raised two sons. Uh, well, I helped my wife raise two sons. The oldest, you, you didn't ever know what he was thinking. He just did what you told him to do and that was it. You don't know if he was 
It was like the little boy that was told to sit down. And he was sitting. And he had this bad attitude. His mother said, what's the problem? He said, well, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. So, you know, only the Lord knows the eldest. Now, the youngest, he wanted an answer from the moment he came out of his mother's womb. Everything was up for debate. And even when he would do what you told him to do, he had to get the last word in. Which drove me up the wall. We had some classic and some not so classic encounters in his life. Now, I don't expect my eldest at 36 and my youngest at 27 to do what I say right now because I say it. I would be disappointed for them to do what I say because I say it. Why? They're at a point in time in their lives, they should, they have the obligation to check out what I've said, verify that it's true. Whoa, that's a novel idea, isn't it? You cannot do that if you don't learn how to find truth for yourself. When you're immature, you are expected to obey. When you're mature, you're expected to obey, but not now because you have to, but because you want to, because now you understand. If you don't have this as a leader, you can't impart this as a leader. I remember uh, I was never raised in a church uh, in the UPC that taught strict holiness. Ever. All my life as a kid traveling all over the country, I, I don't ever remember. I'm, I'm sure the preacher probably preached on it, but it never registered in my brain ever. And uh, after I graduated from the academy and I was in flight training in Pensacola, I went to a guy's church that taught uh, you couldn't wear patent leather shoes, you couldn't wear wide ties, you couldn't wear, men couldn't wear colored shirts, uh, dress shirts, had to be white, everything had to be white. Uh, you couldn't wear rings, you couldn't wear long, short sleeves, you had to, all the sleeves had to be long. Uh, skirts had to be uh, mid-calf at the shortest. I mean, it was quite different than anything I'd experienced. So I came to Maryland, and, and I'd never had any teaching whatsoever, and so my attitude was, especially as a, 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 a Navy junior, it's Army Brats Navy Juniors, proper terminology, don't ever forget it. And so uh, as a Navy junior, I learned that spiritually, because we went to so many different places, and every pastor taught it a little bit different, uh, that, you know, wherever you're going to church, you cooperate with that pastor. And so you did. I did. So I went to flight training, and uh, I uh, I didn't know how long I was going to be there. But while I was there, I was I didn't understand it, didn't ask any questions. I just did what I did. I obeyed. He was, this is where God put me. The Lord knew what he believed. 
I guess I needed this, so I obeyed it. I didn't have a bad attitude. Obeyed it. In fact, I had 23 short sleeve civilian shirts that I boxed up and sent off to Tupelo's Children's Mansion, the UPC Orphanage. Didn't have a bad attitude at all. But I came to Maryland, and not having had any teaching on anything, you know, you can always get a little, you can always ease things up a little bit, but if you start things here tightening up, you're going to lose folks. You're going to lose a whole lot fewer people starting strong and easing up a little bit than starting easy and having to tighten up a little bit. Establishing something people are supposed to do is a major challenge. Unestablishing it is easy. You just don't talk about it anymore. So I came here, we started winning people. What did I, what did I teach they were supposed to do? Couldn't wear patent leather shoes, couldn't wear wide ties because, uh, narrow ties was in style to change from a narrow to a wide tie was following the fashions of the world. Uh, you, you know, you wore white dress shirts, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I taught all that. Not because I believed it, but it was the last place I'd been to church last pastor I'd been under and that's what he taught that's what I'd been obeying and I did it I wore all long sleeve shirts didn't wear a wedding band etc 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 well we started winning people and I started the way I won people especially Catholics is if it's not in the book you can't believe it you can't believe it unless it's in the book don't believe anybody Anything, anything anybody tells you, unless they can show it to you in the book. Well, then they got saved like that. And then I started teaching all this other stuff. And they'd say, where's that in the book? And my response was, were you going to do this because I say so? Wait a minute, no. You won us by telling us not to believe anything you couldn't show us, you or anybody else couldn't show us in the book. And now you're going to tell us to do this because you say so? I don't think so. I remember the first major crisis of pastoring. I had to decide in studying the scripture for myself what I was willing to take a stand on and send people to hell over. Not that I was wanting to say, if you do this, you're going to hell. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. But I understood that if somebody came to the truth and I taught something and they didn't like it and they left, that in essence, my position became a heaven-hell issue because of their decision to either continue to fellowship with truth or not continue to fellowship with truth. Now, the problem with some leaders is they want to play God. They don't want to take stands on stuff that people may end up leaving over. And as I've said before, some people who believe this all their life, they raise kids, kids rebel, they don't want to live that way. So all of a sudden, what they believed all their lives, what they believed to be true, 
Well, they don't want to think of their kids going to hell, so they just compromise the whole deal because they don't have the guts and the love necessary to stand up, love their kids like they are, but refuse to put their rubber stamp on their kids' lives. You know, the whole idea of love and approval being synonymous is absurd. If I can't love you without approving of you, if you can't love me without approving of me, if God can't love me without being able to approve of everything about me, there isn't anybody in this room that's going to heaven. There isn't anybody in this room, there aren't things that God doesn't approve of in your life. Approving or not approving of something is not the basis of the Lord loving us. It can't be that with our husband or our wife. It can't be that with our kids. It can't be that with our parents. It can't be that with the, the, with the one who is standing in the pulpit preaching us the Word of God. God purposely intended for the Word of God to be preached by flawed human beings. And aren't you blessed because of it? Because if an angel was doing the preaching, there would be no patience. The blessing of having a flawed human being preaching to you is the person doing the preaching needs salvation just as much as the ones doing the hearing. And if you can't remember that and keep that in mind... Then you use the flaws of the human as basis for rejection. So I say it to you again. It's a sad thing to watch an entire family lost because parents who raise kids couldn't trust the word of God that says, train up a child in the way that you go and when they're old they'll not depart from it. And trust God and keep the example and keep the faith while the kids wander believing that God's going to bring them back. But instead of having the guts, the fortitude, the faith to do that, they just compromise everything and go to where their kids are living. And then the whole, the whole lot of them is lost. I've seen preachers do the same thing. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I had been chuckling inwardly to myself for a while. Because there were folks in this church just holding their breath, waiting for the day that I was no longer the pastor and that David would take over so he could finally ease up on some of this stuff. I knew what was coming because he's stronger on this stuff than I am. I'd sit, just kind of smile and chuckle to myself thinking, well, are you glad the new guy's on the block? The old guy wasn't so tough after all, was he? (laughs) Unfortunately, unfortunately, I have seen more than one church destroyed because dad turned the church over to the kid And the kid didn't really believe anything 
the first person to receive the Holy Ghost in this church who didn't, who had never had it before. The first person to receive the Holy Ghost in this church was a backslidden Marine. No comment. Anyway, um, but the first person to receive the Holy Ghost in this church had never had the Holy Ghost before, uh, actually received the Holy Ghost in Alexandria, Virginia, in a church there. That church uh, moved. It, what, it didn't stay in Alexandria. But that pastor, that, that original pastor of that church, founding pastor of that church, uh, had been very strong. Uh, I don't mean unkind, but he had a firm conviction. He taught the church uh, clearly. Scripture, I, 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 he was a friend. He had been a mentor. He's easily old enough to be my dad. And uh, he'd been very kind to my wife and I. In fact, uh, we were here. David was born. We didn't have really anybody in the church. Their church gave us a baby shower for David. So the nice people. He turned the church over to his son. There's an old saying in Pentecost, someone doesn't believe that fat meat is greasy. Well, he doesn't believe fat meat is greasy. Meaning, he didn't really believe anything. Well, unfortunately, that's the case with the son. If you walked in that church today, you would never believe it has any affiliation with the United Pentecostal Church. That's sad to say. The only people in the building that look like they have any kind of standards of separation at all is the old mom and dad are still alive. Everything else in the building is down the tubes. You say, preacher, you can't really be making that big an issue over that. How big of an issue would it be if I started teaching that you could have the Holy Ghost without speaking in tongues? Hello? The outward's not important. The external's not important. You don't have to have the external to have the Holy Ghost. Well, you know what? Even the youngest of you, something would be inside of you would be going, boom, boom. I don't mean youngest uh, naturally. I mean youngest spiritually. Something inside of you would be going, boom, 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 boom. That's not what he's always taught. That's not what I experienced. Bong, 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 bong. Right. And yet somebody comes up and says, the external's not God looks on the heart. God's not all that involved with the outer man. And some of you go, man, great. Now I can look like every other harlot running around on the street. Should be the saying, bong, 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 bong. Why? Because the principle of God using the external to demonstrate what is internal is firmly established in the book. Firmly established. I don't know my own heart. You don't know your own heart. You can say, I'm a believer. Really? The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of joints and marrow and the soul and the spirit, and is a discerner 
and is a discerner, a revealer of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. How does it do that? Because Jesus Christ has become the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey Him. Jesus said, if you keep or obey my words, you love me. If you don't keep or obey my words, you don't love me. So, the outward evidences of obedience. You're sitting here, aren't you? That You made a decision. You know, we, we got a, uh, an event at my house today. My wife planned a uh, sit-down Valentine's dinner for preachers in our district 40 and under and their wives. And we, of course, they all couldn't come, but her and some helpers turned our whole area into this romantic china the best silverware a little bit of crystal she's got candelabras I mean can't go I'm going I'm the host can't go I'm under 40 you're laughing So, you know, this is, <laughs> so I, you know, I had some things uh, I was doing last night and trying to get my part ready and I kept working on it and working and clocks ticking and working and clocks ticking and working and clocks ticking and finally I decided, you know, I think I better go to bed and turn the light off at one fifteen and. Took a little while to go to sleep. Took me about five minutes. Usually it takes me about 30 seconds. I was too keyed up. Set the alarm for 6.15. Woke up at 5.58. I'm not here because I'm obligated to you. I'm here because I'm trying to demonstrate my faith. My obedience demonstrates my faith. Okay. So, I, I, nobody expects you and I to look like an Am- Amish person. Or even a Mennonite. Have you seen Mennonites? Sweet people they seem to be. And uh, the Mennonite ladies look like they wear dresses made out of feed sacks. And I'm not being facetious. They've all got that little starched white beanie on the back of their head. And they wear they have uncut hair. And they wear no makeup and no jewelry and, and all of that. And nobody's teaching that. In fact, for most of us sitting here, the world would have to look really, really close to see there's a major difference between us and them, especially with the men. Where's the great sacrifice?
Praise God. So the problem is, how does a person obey God? Long term. The only way you can obey God long term is it's got to become yours. Well, Brother Wright, I trust you. It's okay for hope to trust me. Last night was the banquet as a part of Worth the Wait. Uh, we had a choice of going to the banquet or keeping four children. We kept four kids. We took them to Cheeseburger in Paradise because we've got one who is a chocolate lover because I was feeding her chocolate on the sly <laughs> while she was being breastfed. And she likes chocolate as good as I do. Of course, David wasn't fed chocolate on while he was being nursed, and he likes chocolate too. So I guess it may not have anything to do with it, but I like to take the credit. <laughs> so we, we, uh, we went to Cheeseburger in Paradise because they've got these chocolate nachos. Don't knock it if you ain't tried it. They bring out this, this dipping bowl of hot fudge. They bring out these three scoops of bluebell ice cream and this huge plate of nachos. Uh, and it's not nacho greasy nachos. They're kind of like more like flat sopapillas. Okay? They're, they don't have any puff in them. That's the way Christians are supposed to be. No puff. And so, uh, so, but they, they got some chocolate on a little sprinkles or whatever. We took her there because we told her about the dessert. She trusted us that it was good and ordered it. And her and her sister shared them. She's 11 almost. She trusted us. It's not that you're supposed to grow up and become distrustful. It's you're supposed to grow up and take personal responsibility for what you believe. Because it can't be what my pastor teaches. It can't be this is what my church believes. It has to be this is what I believe. And I'm willing to die for it. Whether that is dying a natural death for it. Or whether that is dying daily for it. You can't die for something that's not yours. Praise God. So now that we're all here, I will teach the lesson, Principles of Biblical Interpretation. If you can keep up, Adam, keep up. If you cannot, I'm using my notes because of time. There are numerous principles. I will say this to you. I don't know how I learned this on my own. I know that uh, I started at the Naval Academy a Pentecostal, a third generation Pentecostal. In the evening time when we got involved with uh, where study hour, the three subjects you're not supposed to talk about, religion, politics, and women. 
I usually ended up in the in the class, in the uh, dorm room that was talking about religion. It didn't take me long to begin to being the only Pentecostal in the whole company. It didn't take me long to feel my personal responsibility to set all these guys straight. Well, the problem is all I was doing was repeating what I'd been taught in Sunday school. Not what I studied, not what I believed. Well, guess what? I came up against some guys that knew the Bible better than I did. Knew their doctrine better than I knew mine. It didn't take long, about three or four months, I didn't know what was truth anymore. Literally. For my first birthday at the academy, my 19th birthday, February the 18th, 1965, my mother gave me a study Bible, first study Bible I ever owned. It had some reference materials. It had a, a small concordance in it. It had that little center column reference deal that you have where there's a little letter, but a part of a verse. You go to the center column, it gives you some other verses supposedly on that subject. And so I, I got down by my bed, literally. I remember this as clearly as if I was kneeling there tonight. Got down by my bunk and told God, I want truth. I don't know what truth is. I don't know who has it. I don't care who has it. I don't care what they're called. Show me truth and that's what I'll become. I just want to know truth for myself. And I said, either you are a liar or you're no respecter of persons. I don't have a church to go to. I don't have a pastor to talk to. I'm here by myself. You put me here. You must have known what was going to happen to me. And now I'm here. And I'd, I'd like, I, you know, it would be easy for me to deny you and go out and do what everybody else does so at least I would fit in. But I can't deny what happened to me when I received the Holy Ghost. So I, you, you won't let me go. You won't turn me loose. I can't turn you loose. So here you and I are. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to study this book. I'm going to pray. And if you're not a liar, you truly are no respecter of persons, you will show me how to study this book and find truth. And hear me. I had a laboratory. I would study a while, thought I had answers. I'd, I'd end up going back into those discussions and testing how they worked. Two years, almost to the day, we baptized the first guy. Seven of them by the time I graduated. Got the Holy Ghost. With no church. Without ever hearing a Pentecostal preacher preach. The only thing they knew about all of this is what God had showed me and I shared with them. You talk about giving you some confidence. I was so sure of what God had showed me. I didn't care if you had a doctor divinity degree. If I could get you to agree to stick to only using the Bible in the discussion... You were done. I didn't mean that from a place of ego. That was just how much confidence I had that I had truth. 
I don't think I display much less confidence than that today. Now, you want to talk about the latest book on the market, the latest Christian book? Boy, I'm behind. Because about 12, 15 years ago, for me personally, because of what God was trying to say to me and say through me, I, I pretty much quit reading Christian books. I'm not against them at all. I don't want to discourage you from it. But I am concerned when people spend more time reading about what other men say about God than what God said himself. Because bottom line, your opinion and my opinion are irrelevant. It's not what the United Pentecostal Church says that matters. It's not what Antioch says that matters. It's what this book says that matters. Because only the Word of God is capable of saving you. If you don't believe that, you will end up being a blind leader of the blind. And everybody's going to fall in the ditch. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. This has to be the final authority. I've had some people tell me, oh, Brother Wright, you're so smart. Well, you're not very smart if that's what your conclusion is. I probably have the simplest, most childlike faith in the house. Literally. I say that again. I probably have the most, the simplest, most childlike faith in the house. If the book says it, end of discussion for me. I'm not trying to find a way out of it. I'm not trying to make an excuse so I don't have to do it. I may not be successful at doing it, but I don't deny the truth of it. I may not be able to do it perfectly all the time, and I rarely ever do it perfectly. I guess one breath at a time I've done it perfectly. On occasion, one breath at a time. I'm sure there's been a moment or two in my life I have been totally void of anything negative between me and God, but those moments haven't been very many. But the bottom line is this. There is no debate in my spirit concerning the Word of God. Whatever it, this book tells me how to think. This te- book tells me what my opinions are supposed to be. This book tells me who I'm supposed to vote for. That's why this world is scared to death of Bible-believing Christians. Because if you're a true Bible believer, you don't vote party affiliation. You vote the person that is closest to the book. What do you do when there's none of them close to the book? Pray, oh God, help us. I don't have to worry about the latest style. I don't have to worry about the latest philosophy. The book tells me what to believe. The book does. Not the manual of the United Pentecostal Church. The book does. Not my peers. The book does. I have suffered for it. I'll suffer for it again. But it's worth suffering for because I believe it. Whether I am accepted or rejected is irrelevant. 
The book is the book. And it's the only way to be saved. So, studies show thyself approved unto God, a workman which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. For instance, let me give you a question. When does the old, where does the Old Testament begin? I mean, New Testament begin. Right. Do you know how many false doctrines there are that are based on the fact that the New Testament began with Matthew 1-1? Because salvation doctrines are taken, for most churches today, are taken out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's not old, that's not New Testament, that's Old Testament. Yes, it is a transition period, but it is not New Testament. Because the New Testament is specifically the indwelling Spirit of God. And the Holy Ghost was not in them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, come unto me, uh, John seven thirty seven. come unto me all you, that's not it. If any man thirst, let him come, in, come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this, in parentheses, John said, but this spake he of the Spirit, that they that believe on him should receive. But the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You know what John just said? The promise Jesus just made, the invitation he just gave, you couldn't obey it right now if you wanted to. Because it's not yet. What did that just confess? That verse might be about the New Testament, but they weren't in the New Testament. How about this one? Hebrews 9, uh, let's try 14. Nah, that's not it. Work. Come on now. Um, try twenty. Yeah, that's it. Go back one verse uh, to nineteen. No, I thought I saw it up there. Was it 15? Oh, duh. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's go to 14. That was a good place anyway, wasn't it? What do you do when your memory is working, but you didn't have any confidence your memory was accurate? I've got to be honest with you. Lately, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in my memory. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Next verse. For this cause, he is the mediator in the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Next verse. For a testament is a force after men are 
dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Do you understand how important that is? These verses help you to rightly divide the word of truth. Do you know how simple it is to discuss the scripture with somebody if you know the principles of biblical interpretation? Somebody throws a verse out at you, and it looks like that it, on the surface, you've studied, you know it does, but you haven't really looked at that one before. On the surface, it looks like it contradicts what you believe to be truth. What is the first thing you do? What? Nope. Read several verses before and after. Study the context. Before you respond, study the context. If you're still not sure what it means, what's the second thing you do? Snow them. Some of you must think that's the case. Give an honest answer. You start snowing somebody, trying to snow somebody, they know you know you don't know what you're talking about, and you're insulting them, telling them you think they're stupid enough to believe that stuff you're spewing out, that you're not, you're just trying to snow them. I don't know, but I'll find out is a valid answer. I got, I have some benefit in that for four years. If you were asked a question by an upperclassman, you could get killed by saying, I don't know. That was not the appropriate response. You never said, I don't know. You said, I'll find out, sir. So it's okay for you to say to someone that brings up a verse, I'm sorry, I don't know, but I will find out. You don't ever communicate something Just trying to snow them. Why? Because the person that's going to get most benefited by this discussion is me. Because if you brought up something I haven't considered before, I can't wait to get by myself, get my book out, get my concordance out. This is before computers, of course. And and look into it for myself. Sometimes, just for stimulation, I'll go online and read articles Written by people that just are blasting what we believe. Why? Because if you only ever talk to people that agree with everything you believe, you're never going to grow. Iron sharpened with iron. I want to be challenged. I want, I want to maintain my hunger. I want to dig. I want to learn. I want to grow. You know what how, What kind of a blessing it would be for you to get so hungry for the Word of God that you'd be sitting in front of your boob tube either with it hooked up to an antenna or just watching a DVD or, God forbid, you still only have VHS, right? Uh, and you're sitting there, and, and the longer you sit there, you get emptier, and you say, you know, I got, there's some questions I got. I think I'll go study a little while. And you get into that, and the next thing you know, you don't even know how four, five, six hours passed. How did it go so quickly? 
Why? Because let me tell you something. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Leader, you do not study so you'll have something to say. You study to learn. You study to know. You know what? You know why I'm fairly confident answering most people's questions? Because I asked that myself that question years ago. Because honestly, and please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, the only questions I'm really concerned about answering are my own. The only questions that really matter to me are mine. Because I want to know. I want peace. I don't want anything troubling my spirit. You know why some of us can't hear from God? You know why some of us aren't sensitive to the voice of God? Because to be sensitive to the voice of God, I like to have the mental image of a pond. I call it my pond of peace. I can be no more sensitive to the voice of God than the amount of troubling there is on the surface of my pond of peace. One of my most favorite things in the whole world to do is to take pictures, uh, take photographs of, uh, of, of scenes where there's water and the water's perfectly clear. I, I've taken a couple of photographs that just out of fun, I'd hand it to somebody and, and, and I'd say, is this, is this right side up or upside down? And they look and they look and they look. The reflection was so perfect that person after person, they would guess, but they were never sure which way it was. The reflection was that perfect. When I stand on the, on, on the shore of my pond of peace, I want the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ in that pond to be so perfectly clear, I don't have any doubt who's there. So therefore, if I've got ripples on my pond of peace, what I'm seeing is not very clear. Nobody can steal your peace. You have to give it away. I'm off the subject, but I'm flowing in the Holy Ghost, so hang on here. Come here, Lee, help me out a minute. Hand me your Bible. We're going... No, don't... I'm not comfortable with this. You, you I just realized what I was about to do. Okay. He's got a problem. This represents his problem. We have, a, we have an encounter, a personal interaction. In that interaction, he treats me according to his problem. What is he trying to do? He's trying to give me his problem. I now have a choice. I can take his problem. Or I can give it back. Here's the problem though. Okay. The problem is. If I choose to keep his problem. God requires me to throw it. 
in my pond of peace. You can't stand on the bank of your pond of peace and hold on to his problem. If you accept it, you've got to toss it into your pond of peace. What's that going to do? It's going to disturb the surface of your pond of peace. I only have one of two things I can do when somebody tries to make their problem my problem. I either have to give it back to them and refuse to accept it. Or I have to toss it in the water of of my pond of peace and disturb my peace. The more disturbed my peace is, the less likely it is I can know direction from God. Okay. Uh, stand up, grab your jacket. It's cold outside. I've got a care, right? That that care can wrap itself around me. But the problem is, if I accept the cares of life, you know what I got to do to them? Throw them in my pond of peace. I either have to put my the cares of life in my pond of peace or I have to cast them on the Lord. I cannot just hold them and control them. So whether it's grudges, offenses, worries, cares, disturbances, whatever they are, what I hold on to, I have to cast in my pond of peace. The more I cast in my pond of peace, the more disturbed the surface. The more disturbed the surface of my peace, the less sensitive I am to the direction from God that brings me out of my trouble. That's why Paul said, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and man. I am not going to be offended with people because of what they do to me or that, or don't do that I think they should do, and I'm not going to be offended with God over my circumstances. Because only by protecting my peace can I be sensitive to God. You don't protect your peace. What is the result of unprotected peace? Confusion. Fear. Being directionless. Yeah. You cannot be a leader who is effective if you, if you have a disturbance in your peace. I don't mean this sarcastically. I'm, I'm really trying to just drive a point home here. But there's some of you here don't know what peace is because you never had it. I got a question. How can you honestly be trusting God when you're with your eternity when you can't even trust him with today? How can you be trusting God with the security of your eternity when you can't even trust him with a problem today? How can you trust Him with forever when you can't trust Him with now? 
So the devil likes to bring fear. He likes to bring offense. He likes to bring cares. And those are things he attacks the spiritual ones with. Forget the condemnation, the guilt, and the shame that comes to those of us in our periods of time when we are not giving our all to try to walk with the Lord. But to those who are trying to give their all, it's fear, anxiety, and offense. Praise God. John 17, 7 says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. 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 Back in 1988, we were, uh, it wasn't 88 either. It was 1980. We were having a big revival and the focus was uh, evangelism. And we managed to get a room off the student union, uh, the main opening of the student union at University of Maryland. And we went over there and, and we showed this film and we were talking about the end time and students would come in and out. I'll never forget this one guy. He said, I believe in Jesus. I said, that's good. He said, but I don't believe in the Bible. I said, you believe in Jesus? Yeah. But you don't believe in the Bible? Right. I said, well, since the Bible is the only source of information about Jesus, how do you believe in Jesus? He said, I believe in my own Jesus. I believe in my own Jesus. Well, you know, the Bible does talk about other Jesuses. But if you want the one true and living God, you have to believe in the Bible. The Bible. Now, I, I, I'm not saying we should do this here, but I tell you what. In Pakistan, you never lay your Bible on the floor. They have such awesome reverence. For the word of God, that the actual vehicle that contains the word of God, they treat with great reverence. I, I have to acknowledge to you, I have not always been that careful with the Bible. But there, there does need to be a feeling of sacredness about the book. First of all, have you ever done any research into how we even got the book? The price of blood that many paid to keep the word of God secure and to get it translated in our language. You know how many people died for no other reason that they translated the Bible out of either its original languages or out of Latin into the language of the common man? Because the way the church controlled the masses was they had the language written in languages that the masses could not understand and therefore, they couldn't interpret it. So the church not only could tell them what it said, it could tell them what it meant because they had no way of finding that out for it, him, themselves. Thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people died for the very purpose of just to get the Bible into the language of the common man. God can use anything, my friend. Even adultery. The king of England, Henry, 
wanted a son so bad he kept going through wives. He was a Catholic. The ones he couldn't get an annulment from the church from, he just had them killed. Kept on working. Finally, he said, this is ridiculous. After going through about three or four or five wives, I don't remember exactly how many it was. He decided, I don't need to do this anymore. I'm going to start my own religion. The first Protestant church started because somebody had selfish goals. God used a king's selfish goals to set people free. Well, then, of course, after the state church was formed, the Anglican church, they needed their own Bible, and so King James, the head of the state church, uh, authorized the translation of the Bible in the, you know, finally we had one that you could read and not put your life on the line. Truth. Do you know how few people there are in this country alone that's supposed to be a nation founded upon Christianity? that no longer believe this book is truly the Word of God. My question is, do you? The Lord identified Himself with the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. And then the Scripture says this, major principle of biblical interpretation, 2 Timothy 3, 15. And that from a, Paul's talking to Timothy, his son of the gospel, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you the wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The only source of information about how to be saved is the Bible. Now, now, in discussion with others, that's going to seem extremely closed-minded. Here's the problem. If you don't know what the Bible says, you're going to be intimidated by that. Here's my response. Jesus says He's the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not trying to be a bigot here, but I have to make a choice. I'm not trying to reject you, friend. I have to make a personal choice for myself. Either that statement is true or it's a lie. It can't be partially true. That's the problem with the Bible. And some of you still haven't confronted it. You can't say you believe the Bible and then not believe what the Bible says about itself. Which means... The Bible says there's no other path to salvation than the book. Well, you know, I don't want to be politically incorrect. Then you don't have any faith in the Word of God. Well, I don't want to be offensive to people. Then you don't believe what the Bible says about itself. You cannot say you believe the Bible and not believe what the Bible says about itself. You, you don't have that option. It is not possible. You have to believe what the Bible says about itself. Jesus said, sanctify them through that truth. Thy word is truth. Not one of the truths. Not partially true. You know, the, 
the Bible compared to other religions is kind of amazing. Even Islam, in covering all its bases, does not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They're covering all the bases. They want to make sure they got all the bases covered. Not so the Bible. The Bible says, this is God, this ain't. This is who God is, this is who God isn't. End the discussion. You, you know what you have to do? You have to decide, I believe it or I don't. If you believe it, that means you believe it in spite of who doesn't believe it. Does that mean we treat them unkindly? No. But I don't have a right to change the word of God to keep from being offensive to a relative or a friend. You say, well, I, I'm trying not to be offensive. Let me tell you something. If you walk into their presence with faith in your heart and you don't open your mouth, you just became evidence for their demise. I tell you what, you don't have to open your mouth. You don't have to take a stand with your relatives. Keep your mouth shut. Send them to hell. Because in the judgment, when they stand before God, God's going to show them evidence that you stood in their presence and you had the truth and they didn't get the truth. So that's not fair. Not fair. If you're a God that's no respecter of persons, The Lord does not grade on the curve. Now, I can't take my test where I got half of them wrong to my teacher and say, I'm, I missed these, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And she'll take her red marker out and just cross through her X's and then mark out the 50% grade and mark down 100 I can do that with Jesus. Anybody can do that with Jesus. I take my failures to Him, confess them to Him, ask for His forgiveness. He marks all of those out, puts a hundred on the top of my page. If He's willing to do that for everybody and He's no respecter of persons, then you tell me how somebody can go to heaven that refuses to submit to that process. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how educated you are. Doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. Doesn't matter if you even got a bank account. It doesn't matter whether you have a great house or you don't even have a house. You don't even have any place to live. It doesn't matter to the Lord. One is not more important than the other. One is not more more uh, valuable to Him than the other. He died for every soul the same. It doesn't matter what the color is, what the education is, what the last name is, where you live, where you don't live. Nothing matters to Jesus but the fact that He died for you in your place. So therefore, if salvation is that free... And that easily obtained. Tell me how someone can go to heaven who ignores it. Well, you, you, you must enjoy telling people are going to hell. That is absurd. It's absurd. This day, today, 
I am not the judge of anybody's heart. I just know what the Word of God says. And Jesus said, this is a good one here. Uh, John uh, 12, verse 48, I think it is. Put that up there. We'll read a little bit. Listen to this, please. John 12, 48. He that rejecteth me. Let's go to verse uh, 46. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Listen to this now. This is you and I. We haven't come to save the world in the sense of dying for them. But we're on a mission of salvation. We're not on a mission of judging. We're on a mission of salvation. And even Jesus Christ said, he's on a mission of salvation. He's not on a mission of judging. If any man hear, hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Next verse. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. In some translations, put it this way. He that rejecteth me, that is to say, receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You know what? It's like, it's like going to college to get a degree. And before every exam, the professor gives you the tests and gives you the answers. And all you have to do is sit down and read the questions and read the answers and go take your test. Is there anybody here that wouldn't have a decent chance of graduating under those circumstances? You don't have to have a great memory to at least get a passing grade in a circumstance like that. Never a surprise. Never a wonder if you studied the right thing. You're given the test in advance. You're given all the answers to the test in advance. And all you've got to do is care enough to read the questions and find the answer. And then go sit down in the exam room. Take out that exam and write down the answers that you were provided. How hard is that? Here is the questions and the answers to the ultimate final exam. This word is going to judge you and I in the last day. And since we are bought with a price and we are not our own, you're not going to be able to say to the Lord, well, I didn't agree with that. Let me be. Un- let, me, let me try to say something here without being unkind. Try, I, you know, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to help you. Okay, this church is surviving financially. There's always need for more funds. Frankly, we may end up borrowing the money to build a building. I don't know how we're going to pay for it at our current level of income, but not my problem. So what I'm about to say is not for the benefit of trying to get more income. But how simple is it that the first tenth belongs to God? He says it's His. He says very clearly, you keep it back to yourself. You're a thief. You're robbing from God. Let's see. Two plus two equals six. Which means, if I don't agree with it, 
I don't have to do it. Shall the unbelief of some make the faith of God without effect? Nay, let God be true and every man a liar. Well, I don't agree with what the church is doing with it. Let me tell you something. God does not judge the heart of the receiver. Giving is determined by judging the heart of the giver. If we take every penny you, you give, and we went out and bought stocks in bubble gum, it wouldn't change your obligation to give it if you've got faith, first of all. Second of all, it wouldn't in any way diminish your obedience, your, 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 your blessing for obeying. And third, it would not negate your obedience. How the funds are managed and what's done with them is God's problem. Well, I don't want to be a dupe. Let me tell you something. You hang on to your ties, you don't owe 10%. You owe 12 Read what the book says. You hold back your ties. You've got to add the fifth part there too. i tell you something else. It's amazing to me. People give you a check for ties, it bounces. They don't have to make that check good. They paid their ties. Hey, you can shake your hand if you want to. It would blow your mind how many times that's the attitude. You can't get the money from the check. It's not my problem. I put the check in the offering. I paid my ties. Or how about this one? You know, Bible says bring in the the uh, the fruits to the storehouse on the first day of the week. So that's Sunday, not Saturday. Saturday Sunday's the first day of the week. Saturday seventh is the seventh day of the week. And guess what? We get ready for church tomorrow. We get up in the morning and it's white. Nobody can go anywhere. We don't have church. So you know what you know what the average the average person in this church the average person not the the, the few the average person in this church thinks hey God just blessed me with a freebie because we didn't have church today I don't know my ties I promise you before God that's the absolute truth I promise you before God that's the absolute truth. On weekends and weekends where we don't have church, our tithe is down 50%. And you know what? If it was just the weather, the next week it would be up 50% over normal. Never happens. Never happens. Now this isn't about money. I'm not talking, I'm not here talking to you about money. I'm not here trying to shame you. I'm simply saying this is the difference between the way some people view the Word of God and some people that don't. If you're a leader, you've got a responsibility setting that example. But I've got bills to pay with God's money. Now how, I don't mean to be offensive by saying this. I'm just trying to make a point. How dumb is that? I'm going to take God's money and pay my bills? When he said that by paying my tithes, I'm proving him? That's the only place in the Bible that allows me to test God? 
Of course, some people want to give today and want God to give every, all of that back and more before they even get up in the morning. You know what? I'm so happy you're not the farmer supplying the food I eat because I'd be really skinny right now. If you went out and dug up everything you sowed yesterday because it didn't produce overnight. How about this one? <laughs> How about this one? Husband and wife both works, but the only one in the family has to pay any tithes is the husband. Wife's money's all free. I'm not making this stuff up. The Bible says, bring tithe of all your increase in the house. I mean, again, we're talking about simple stuff here. This is why your money is the least place of faithfulness that you can demonstrate to God. Your money. Jesus called it the least. If you can't be faithful in that which is least, how can you be trusted with more? I'm talking to leaders here. Can God trust you with more? Is your attitude and the way you deal with your money between you and Jesus, does it in any way say that you're qualified to set an example to others? i tell you something. This is the way we've done it for years. The first check that's ever written after we get any money, the first check, it's been like this ever since we got married. It was like this, of course, before I got married. But the first check that's written is a tithe check. Even if it's not going to be but four or five days, even if it's going to be four or five days where we're in church and able to give it because it's the first tenth. And we, want, we don't want to spend what's not in there. Of course, some people can't even balance their checkbook. They conduct their finances on the Braille system. Write the check and see if it bounces. You know what? I don't have a problem with that as long as God's money is the one you write check first. As long as, as, long as you write his check first. You want, you, you, you want to run your finances by Braille? At least have some faith in it. Again, again, please. And, and it goes, let's go back to this one. Forsake not the assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Do you always feel like going to church? Did you feel like getting up this morning? No, you didn't. No, you didn't feel like getting up. Let's just be honest. All of us be honest about it. We didn't feel like getting up. Why did we get up? Well, you know, we've been keeping roll, but I haven't seen the roll. I haven't been checking to see who's coming and who's not. Brother, you's got that responsibility and others. Because when we go looking for leadership, I'm going to say, well, what about so-and-so? He's going to say, well, man, they really haven't been coming to training. The future leaders of this church is coming from right here. I'm not playing games with you. This is true, right here. Why? Forsake not the assembly yourselves together. Why? Because it's not always convenient. How, you know what? It's amazing to me how slothful somebody is coming to church till they become the leader. And then they're on everybody's case because they don't show up. Woo! 
I knew a guy that led that, that, that sat on a committee for years, and you couldn't hardly conduct a meeting for him cracking up, cracking jokes, and having other conversations. Then something happened, and he became the leader of that committee. And you talk about Gulag Seventeen. If you if you peeped up one time, he was on your case. If you got up to go to the restroom, he wanted to know where you were going. Almost asked you what you were going to do. Told you how long you had to get back. It's no wonder that he went through a crisis where every one of those committee members threatened to resign in mass. Because it's hard to follow somebody that doesn't set the example of what's expected of the followers. You can't be a leader if you're not led. You will never be more effective as a leader than you are at following your leader. You will never have any credence as a leader, any more credence as a leader than you'll have as you follow the leader, your leader. If you're, if you're waiting until life gets perfect, you know, some of us are sick a lot. If my home was constantly battling sickness, I'd find myself someplace on my face before God and find out why. Because if you think that's normal for a child of God, you don't have a clue. And if you're willing to just accept that and go through the motions... Because you don't want to get well because it's a good excuse so you can lay out a church. Then you've just revealed your own heart. You know, it's amazing to me. The same people that are constantly laying out a church as a, as a leader because they're always sick. Once they're the leader, they're very impatient with people who aren't in church or in their meeting because they're sick. Always. I'm not saying that there isn't time occasions where there's legitimate sickness. I'm simply saying if you or somebody in your house is constantly sick, I don't mean continuously. Anybody know the difference between constant and continuous? Continuous means it's uninterrupted. Constant means it's something that happens repetitively, habitually. Oh, and by the way, Brother you does track church attendance for leaders. Even if nothing is said to you. Why? Well, because there's, there's a couple of examples of things I always look for to, to let me know when somebody is in trouble. They're not, there are a few times where people have been managed to continue to do those things and they're not in trouble, but only a few. The first thing a person starts doing is missing church. The second thing they stop doing is being consistent with their tithe. And even though they still come to church most of the time, it is not long until they are gone. 
Because it's not church attendance or tithes that's the issue. It's what's in the heart. A person that is, misses church a lot or starting to miss church a lot and who starts being unfaithful with their tithes, there are always heart issues. It's not about the money. I've had people tell me, well, you're going under. I'm not going to pay my tithes. Let me tell you something. You know how much God punishes the church for that? It's like pulling your hand out of a bucket of water. The same amount of hole that's there in the water when you pull your hand out is the same amount that God punishes the church in your disobedience because of your disobedience. This, the source of supply are, is not you, it's God. And n- nobody here that's responsible for any finances of this church is trusting the people of this church as our source of supply. God and God alone is the source. I'm not teaching this because we're hurting. I'm teaching this because you're hurting. And you're going to be leading people that are hurting. And needless to say, I haven't exactly stayed on the subject today, but uh, I'm working on it. Bad news for you. More time. All right. Second Peter chapter... Wait, I didn't read Second Peter 3.15. Yeah, all right. And that from a child... <laughs> Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto uh, under salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. Major verse here. Second Timothy 3.16 is a major. All verses are important. But there are some verses that are so full of principle. God's principle. God's unalterable principles. That you've got to know them. You cannot afford to not know them. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The next verse says uh, that the man of God may be thoroughly, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You want to be able to be an effective man of God? The book will furnish you with everything you need if you want it. It's in there. Every bit of it's in there. You want it? Oh, I'm busy. I don't have time. Yeah, busy. How many hours a night do you watch something on uh, uh, video or TV? How many, how many hours a night do you spend on the, on, on, a, uh, uh, on, the, on the computer in a chat room? And you don't have time for the Word of God? You got your priorities all right. You say you don't have time. Let me tell you something. We have more time. If we just redeemed half the time we waste every day, we would make a major impact on this world. You know why people get in trouble on the internet or what they watch on the boob tube? Because they sit down with curiosity and flip channels. Or they go on the internet and they don't have any place specifically they're going, they're just filling time and you will end up in places you shouldn't be. If you go to the internet, have a reason to be there. Go do what you're supposed to do and get off. Two reasons. First of all, you're opening the door to temptation. Second of all, you need to redeem the time. Or, how about even the adults in this room, the adults in this room, that spend hours and hours playing video games. 
and I don't know the Word of God, and I don't know where to find the Scriptures to show somebody that needs to be saved how to be saved, and I haven't equipped myself enough to be able to, to, to give a person an answer, to be able to discuss their doctrine with them. I not only want to know what I, want, I believe, I want to know what you believe so that I can know how to best approach you with what you believe to help you see truth. Woo, praise God. I remind you, this is leadership training. I'm not talking to saints. I'm talking to leaders. Hello? All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Now, this is awesome. This is a great thing. This, this verse here is fantastic. The word inspiration of God is God breathed out. Literally, that's what the Greek word means. God breathed out. You know what? In the business world, this would be essentially the same as? If you got a letter in the mail from the President of the United States, You honestly believe he wrote that letter? Uh-uh. You get the letter from, from any business executive. You believe they wrote that letter? No, 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 no. Millions, billions of dollars. Lives are affected every day based on the ability of men to men and women in, in uh, positions to get... Someone to put their words down accurately. In fact, if you know where to look, you know who it was. You can figure out who it was that actually did the writing. Usually down in one of the corners, there's, there's, there's some initials, so some initial letters in caps, and then there's a slash, and then there's some, another initials in small. That means the one initials, the large initials are the one who signed in the letter, and the little ones is the one who actually wrote it down. And then people say, I don't trust the Bible because man wrote it. You hear that crashing, smashing sound? That's the world's economy coming to a screeching halt. Because if we can't trust what men wrote, we're in trouble. If we can't trust that people in places of authority can get someone to accurately put down what they intended to say, we are in big trouble. Stop the presses. Call CNN breaking news. Somebody just came up with something nobody's ever thought of before. God didn't write the Bible, man did. You understand the confidence it gives you when you know what the Word of God says? And You know, you're talking to somebody, they come up with something ignorant like that. And I, it's not stupid, it's ignorant. Ignorant means they don't know, but it's also the root word of ignorant is ignore. Most people are ignorant because they're ignoring truth. Right? They're ignoring truth. But somebody comes up with something like that, and you just kindly stop them and say, you really, you, you really believe that? You really mean that? That we can't trust what man wrote? My whole life changed because of what a man wrote. I got a letter in the mail one day that said I'd been accepted. I'd been given an appointment in the United States Naval Academy. The admiral signed that. He didn't write that letter. 
I showed up with my letter in hand on June 30th, 1964. Said, hey, I've been accepted. They didn't look at that and go, everybody falling floor laughing. <laughs> you believe this? Man wrote this. Boy, you're a fool. God breathed out. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine. There isn't any verse in the Bible that doesn't have some bearing on doctrine. All the Bible can be used for doctrine. I am very, 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 very frightened by people who consider themselves readers, digest, editors, who have determined they're going to give us a condensed form of the Bible by eliminating all the stuff they don't like. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures have any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The one I used last week in conjunction with that. Isaiah thirty four sixteen. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate or lack her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded and his spirit it hath gathered them. Folks, if you get on the, the D.C. Beltway, you start driving around toward Rockville. You're going to come over a hill just past Georgia Avenue and head down a slope, and you're going to be looking straight at a, for, a building that was $14 million to build in the early 70s. I, don't, I can't even imagine what it would cost today. Do you know what that building is built on? One verse. Grossly taken out of context. That's right. You were raised Mormon. Or your parents. You lived with your family and they were Mormon. Oh, wow. One verse. Where Paul says, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. About being baptized for the dead. And that temple is not a church. You and I can't just walk in there. It's a place where you, the, the, the Mormons are the leading genealogy experts in the world. You know why? Because they've come up with that one doctrine to mean that you can get baptized for your dead relatives and they can be saved after the fact as good Mormons by you being baptized for them. You just have to have good proof that they're really your relatives and they can go in there and be baptized for the dead. What about the verse that says, as a tree falleth, so shall it lie. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There's no mercy after death. You are what you are when you die. You're saved or lost when you die. But there's a $14 million building in 1970s dollars built on one verse. Because it was taken grossly out of context. And here's what the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses do. When you pin them down in the Bible, they default to their book. 
the Jehovah Witnesses default to their New World translation of the Bible, where they change the parts they didn't like and the ones that didn't fit, don't that contradict their faith. The Mormons, they don't even bother to do that. They just wrote a second book. But you know what? Here's what you come up with if you just study a little bit, right? The Book of Mormon is the only book connected with any form of Christianity that claims to be divinely translated. No version of the Bible was divinely translated. The Book of Mormon was. That's why the Bible is literally true in its original languages. You have to understand that. God is so desperate for this generation to know truth that the Greek and the Hebrew languages are available for non-scholars right on a computer today. There's never been a day when when the average human being has less excuse not to know what God was really trying to say. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. You just have to become a little bit comfortable with it, with the Bible, or with, with a computer program. You can study what you want to in the original languages. But not so with the Book of Mormon. Because an angel came with a prism to divinely translate the Book of Mormon. The angel Moroni came with a prism through which Joseph Smith could look at these golden plates of Egyptian hieroglyphics and translate the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon claims to be divinely translated. Slight problem. It's been edited seven times for grammar and incorrect spelling. Poor old God can't spell and can't talk right. In fact, he talked, all of his mistakes sounded a whole lot like Joseph Smith's grammar. You see the point I'm making here? Now, you don't go slamming a Mormon with that right off the bat. And let me tell you something else. Here's the deal. Unless God, with an audible voice, tells you to allow the Mormon, those two Mormons in your house, you'll waste your time, and here's why. They send a strong without with a weak one, always. They, they, there are kids out there on missions, they give two years because they have to. Otherwise, they'd be excommunicated. I mean, it's, they don't have a choice, right? So they're not out there because they believe this, they're out there because they don't have any other choice. They send one of them out. Always send a strong without with one of those two. If you bring him in and you begin to undermine this one, you'll never see him again. He's out of here. If you want to deal with a Mormon, you have to deal with the Mormons just like you do with a Muslim. One that's not on a mission. You meet the family someplace, you get to know them, whatever. Oh, by the way. The new head football coach at Navy is a Mormon. Some of his staff is also Mormon. I'm kind of conflicted over that just between me and you. I have two least favorite football teams in the nation. One of them is Notre Dame. The other is Brigham Young University. You know why? 
because the, both the Mormons and Catholic use their athletic prowess to prove their superiority, and they use it as evangelistic tools. Do not ever think that's not the case. So my favorite team is always the team that's playing either Notre Dame or Brigham Young. The greatest conflicts, one of the greatest conflicts I ever face in my life is who do I root for when Notre Dame plays Brigham Young? BYU. That's off the subject, but just be a little human here. All scripture given by inspiration of God. Seek you out of the book. There's no private interpretation. And don't let somebody tell you, well, you can't interpret the Bible because there's no private interpretation. That's not what he's talking about. No prophecy of scripture is of any, you know, folks, if you'll just stop and read what the book says, it really is pretty clear. It says what it means, means what it says. Like this, for instance. Long time ago, it's been 20, 25 years, whatever. There was a lady started coming to our church, and uh, I knew that she was the wife of an enlisted Navy enlisted guy, and, and we were happy to have her, and she got the Holy Ghost got baptized. She called me up. She said, Pastor, yeah, uh, I need your help. Okay. She said, the church I used to go to, the pastor's upset. He's coming to the house. Would you come to, the, to my house and talk to him? I said, okay. So we go there, and it's, kind, it's strained, but kind of amicable. So we get to talking, right? And I talked to him. We, you know, he, he said, well, she says you believe that you have to be baptized to fill the Holy Ghost to be saved. Yes, sir. He said, what do you base that on? And I said, well, John 3 and 5 says, except the man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He said, that's not what that means. I said, what does it mean? He said, it means except the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you shall be saved. I said, well, wait a minute. Let's, let's get the Bible out here and read this a little bit. I said, uh, uh, so I held a book, Bible, and I was trying not to be sarcastic. Uh, I was, uh, verily, verily, I say unto thee. <laughs> See, I probably came across sarcastic reading like that, right? Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I said, now what does that mean? It means except the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. I said, sir, sir, I I know I'm not the most intelligent guy around here, but this verse says, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I said, how... Did you get, except the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, out of that verse? He said, oh, you just have to know it means that. I lie not before God. That is not an embellishment. I have not altered that story in one iota. That is exactly what the man said. I said, then, sir, we got a problem, don't we? He said, what's that? I said, God doesn't know how to say what he means. It means what he says. So you're saying that the average person couldn't sit down and read the Bible and know what the truth is. He said, well, I'm not really saying that. I said, wait a minute. I got a bachelor of science degree. 
I'm not the smartest guy in the, in, in the world, but I can read. I read this. I don't see anything in there. Needless to say, we left there, shook hands, and agreed to disagree. Because if you're dealing with a situation like that, there comes a point where you, you cut bait. You don't keep fishing. How do you have a discussion with somebody who has a magic prism that they look at verses through? It changes, except the Lord, except you be born of water and the Spirit, into except the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. Is there a store where I can buy one of those? Yeah, it is. It's called uh, the Wicca store, where the Wikipedia is written. (laughs) Because if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Great lesson right here. Don't spend time trying to Debate somebody who's not open, who obviously sees the book through blinded eyes, when you could take that same amount of time and invest it in a hungry soul. It, trust me, I have lived this one and been rebuked for it. It is ego to continue that conversation for the purpose of winning an argument. There is a statement that is not in the Bible, but I believe it anyway. That says, he that is convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. (laughs) There's been a couple of families over the last 37 years that have left this church. I won't tell you who or when, but some of you would figure it out. Both cases. Both cases. The men of those families with their wives sat on my couch and said to me face to face. We're leaving because we've come to believe this. But we don't want to discuss it with you because you will prove us wrong. I lie not. I'm telling you the absolute truth before. You know what I, when they said it, you know what I said? God bless you. We love you. Anytime you want to come back, be happy to have you. Well, since the, then I kind of closed the door a little bit, closed more closed than that. What, what's the use here? Well, you know the Bible better than I do, and so therefore you you know uh, you you'll just confuse me. Oh, so being able to present the scripture with you and shed light on something is confusion to your deception. You know what? When I was younger and a lot more stupid, I'd provoke that debate just because I would enjoy the challenge. And you know what I did in both situations? I went home 
and began to study for myself. And I've never been able to share any of the stuff I found out about with either one of those couples. But you know something? I sure learned a whole lot because of the points they brought up. I went and I went and looked, up, looked them up. The Bible says, those at Berea were more noble than those at Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that Paul said were true. It is not a compliment to me for you to come here and sit trying to keep your eyes open for a couple of hours on Saturday morning and then go and never ever sit down and go over the verses I've quoted, the things I've said, and not check to see if what I said is in the book. That is not a compliment. Oh, Brother Wright, we trust you. I don't trust me that much. I trust God. I trust the Word. I don't trust me that much. If you trust me or anybody else that much, you're not very wise. You need to go search the Scriptures. The Bible calls it spiritual nobility, not rebellion. Oh, praise God. Needless to say, it doesn't take much for me to get passionate about this subject. I'll read a couple of verses here uh, too quickly, probably, for you to get them on the screen, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. Matthew eighteen sixteen says, But if he will not hear thee, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Uh, where did it go? Oh, there it is. Hebrews 10, 10 28. He that despised Moses' law... Uh, Died without mercy under two or three witnesses. First Timothy five nineteen and twenty. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. John eighteen seventeen. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. First John 5, 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is true. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word... And the Holy Ghost, not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, not in one are one. Just read what the book says. It doesn't say these three are in one. It says these three are one. Here's a microphone. Here's a microphone. Here's a microphone. These three are one. How many microphones do I have? Not, there's not three microphones in this one. There's not the left-handed microphone, the right-handed microphone, the one that goes between the legs. There's not. There's only one mic. These three are one, right? Okay, that's not the subject anyway. Okay. These, these, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. Ah! Where do these three agree in one? 
You haven't dismissed already, have you? Where does the Spirit, the water, and the blood agree in one? Come on. Everybody take your finger and then do this. Blood, water, spirit. These three agree in one. What do these three agree? These three witnesses agree in one. They are the three witnesses that I am born again, have entered the kingdom, and potentially will be saved if I continue to walk in the word. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So it's not enough to get in the word. You've got to continue in the word. But these three agree in one. There's three that bear record in heaven. The, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. There are three that bear witness. <laughs> See, just all you have to do is read what it says. There are three that... Bear record in heaven. In other words, there are three records in heaven. There's the record of God when He did the work of the Father as the Creator. There is the record of the Word which was made flesh. The Word is eternal. The Sonship is not. Are the, are, are the Father and the Word different? Yes, they are. The Father is spirit. The Word is the part of God that can be injected into the temporal dimension of time. Spirit can never become temporal. The Word put on flesh and became temporal. That's why it says Word. And the Holy Ghost. What's the record of the Holy Ghost? In regenerating man. There are three records in heaven, not three personalities. Just read what it actually says. And these three are, are, are one. These three, the, the, the three, there are three records, but they're all made by the same one. But then there are three that bear witness. Notice the difference between a record and a witness. There are three different things that each one provide a witness. And they agree in one. Spirit, water, and blood. How you get the spirit, water, and the blood, where you get the spirit, water, and the blood, is, is, is then the text, the, the question you take to the sinner. You want to be saved? These three have got to go agree in your life. There's got to be blood in your life. There's got to be water in your life. There's got to be spirit in your life. These three are the three witnesses that agree in one. What do they agree to? To your salvation. So the question is, where do you get spirit, water, and the blood? Repentance, water, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. So here it is. By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. You cannot make a doctrine on an in, in, independently interpreted or privately interpreted prophecy. And all Scripture is prophecy. Because prophecy is divine utterance of God. The entire Bible is 
prophecy in this context. So when it says no prophecy is of any private interpretation, it's speaking of those things that are are supernaturally spoken by God, which is what the Bible is. He spoke it. The Bible says, holy men of old wrote as they were moved on by the word of God. God spoke, man wrote. Man was simply the scribe. Man was the secretary taking God's dictations. If the secretary's initials are at the bottom of the letter, it's not wrong for the man's name to be in the letter that was the scribe. It's still the word of God. So therefore, how many churches and how many people in this world have been baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost when there is absolutely no other verse in the entire Bible that even comes close? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why do nominal Christians, Catholic, Protestants, and otherwise, Why do they so dogmatically hold to Matthew 28, 19? Why will they fight you on it? Why will they slam you with all kind of terrible things to say against you because of it? Why? You ever ask yourself that question? The answer is a lot more obvious than you may think. Because it's the only verse in the entire Bible that even really seems to say, There is three persons. And they will ignore over 50 verses in the Bible that either directly say or indirectly communicate that you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. To stand by one verse because if they accepted baptism in Jesus' name, it undermines their greatest verse of support for the Trinitarian doctrine. So you've got to understand something. Listen to me. If you're going to discuss salvation with somebody, you don't start with the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about a biblical discussion here. You don't start with the Holy Ghost. If you're discussing salvation with someone who claims to be a Christian, you don't start with talking about the Holy Ghost. Because baptism is the easiest of the salvation doctrines to prove. It's the one with the most overwhelming evidence. And the reason you want to start there is because it allows you then to undermine without saying you're undermining the triune God. You undermine that. It's an easy step from baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to there's only one God. Now, you don't want to get bogged down with the Holy Ghost. Here's why. It's a wonderful thing. It's great and all of that. And we, we, we want it. I wouldn't do any, trade anything. I'm not trying to minimize it. But from a biblical discussion standpoint with a person who already claims to be a Christian, it is a weaker position because it's more difficult to clearly define. It is easy to, dis- to prove the mode of baptism. That it's not sprinkling. It's got to be by immersion. It, it, that's easy to do. The very word baptizo means plunge, dip, or immerse. The word for sprinkling in the Greek is rantizo. 
Not only that, the verses talk about the fact that we are buried with Christ in baptism. You don't bury people by sprinkling dirt on them. So simple to prove. So it's easy to prove when. Uh, uh, how? It's also easy to prove when. That you've got to be old enough to repent of your own sins. And believe God for yourself. It's easy to go to verses in the Bible that prove the qualifications for baptism. Is, is, is you have to be old enough to repent and believe for yourself. It's also easy to prove the importance of baptism. First Peter Chapter 3, verse 21 says, Like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. And of course, Acts 2.38. And John 3 and 5, Except the man be born of water and the spirit that cannot enter the kingdom of God. Hello? The point is, if you don't study this stuff, if you don't learn this stuff, then you keep your mouth shut because you don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to be proven wrong. You don't want to lose a debate. Forget the soul going to hell. I don't want to lose a debate. Why? Because I don't study. I don't know. And then I don't have any basis for discussing the Bible with somebody else because I don't know the principles. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. You've got to be able to know enough verses where it says that to take somebody to that. And show them no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation. None shall want her mate. You've got to be able to do that. You're a leader. You should know this. This is not rocket science. It's just a matter of caring enough and wanting to learn it. Turning off the TV or the, or the internet or whatever it is for a while and get in the book. Learn this stuff. It's exciting once you learn it. In fact, let me tell you something. It's like, it's like getting news. Of course, nowadays we don't call people with good news. We just forward it. But the idea is when you get news, you want to share it with somebody. When you get the good news, you will want to share it with somebody. You will look for opportunities. You won't say, was that really God telling me to talk to that person? Oh, well, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I'll try better next time. There's a reason why you don't want to believe God's telling you to talk to that person. You don't have any confidence in what you're saying. You don't know for yourself enough to have confidence in what you're saying. You've got to know for yourself. That little book, True Shall Triumph, if you don't do anything else but learn what's in that little book, and I don't mean just memorize the book, but I mean take those books. Those are really, each one of those sections in each chapter is a study topic. If you just took one section of that book, uh, Take the number of sections in each chapter and spend enough, the number of days of, uh, of the month for that, for that section f as a part of that chapter and really get familiar with what each of those sections says. Look up those verses. Look up other similar verses. Get your Bible program out. Run some references on that. Learn it. Get familiar with it. It's wonderful stuff. First of all, you'll feel a whole lot more saved. Anybody here opposed to feeling a whole lot more saved? 
Or how about if you're a lady? Well, my husband will take care of that. Your husband can't save you. You better know this stuff for yourself. Or God forbid the other way around. Well, my wife is the student. She also wears the pants. That was kind of harsh, wasn't it? I'll say that a little kinder. You're a wimp. (laughs) Wasn't that kinder? Okay. Just check it. (laughs) Oh, praise God. Are we having fun yet? I got to do something to keep you awake because I'm... It's, it's a challenge right now between folks that are nodding off and folks that are checking their watch. And, you know, it's not, I don't mind it's surreptitious glance at the watch. But when you're pounding on it and holding it, you know what? That's kind of just a little bit distracting to me. The Lord told Jeremiah, he said, I made your forehead harder than theirs. So when I see people pounding on their watch, it makes me want to take mine off and not check it. Hallelujah. You know, we're only averaging about two of these sessions a month. That's not enough. You know what that means? You're going to have to, you're going to, have, to have enough desire to spend some time on your own studying this stuff for yourself. Because there's not enough time for me to give all this to you. And you know something? I, I don't want to give you all the answers even if I could. Because you need to find answers for yourself. I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work up these set of notes that they're not polished at all and uh, put them together, put some explanation with them and, and make them available to you as far as, uh, as a study guideline. So you can you you need to understand the principles of the Word of God. You need to understand the, how to study the Word of God. You've got to understand how to study. God truly is no respecter of persons. The Bible says He gave us the Holy Ghost to guide us into all truth. If you've got the Holy Ghost, He planned on guiding you. Can't guide somebody sitting down. You got to be moving. You got to be making an effort. Something's got to be happening. There are people in this room that know a lot, whole lot more about computers than I do. There are people in this room that know a whole lot more about construction than I do. There's people in this room that know a whole lot more about the law than I do. I don't know everything there is to know about anything. But there's one area, it's my choice, how expert I am, and there's no such thing, of course, but how proficient I am at that thing. And that is the Word of God. If I'm not proficient in the study of the Word of God, there's only one reason. My 
choice. But I don't read well. You know what? I had never had any training how to type. Didn't know how to type. Hunt and peck. And it's so frustrating, hunting and pecking. Because if you're trying to type something in the computer, you look at the few words, and you, produce, you go back and check it, and then you get a few more words. And that is so whatever. But I, I did that for a long time because I just, I, did, I didn't want to go take a class with a bunch of kids on how to type and whatever. And so I guess it's been, oh, it could be eight, ten years ago now. I think it was either this First or second version of Mavis Beacon teaches typing. I got the program, put it on my computer. And I spent probably, for about two, three weeks, I spent about two hours a day. Just two hours a day. Working on typing. I'd always considered my wife a typist. And she's pretty quick with it. For a person who uses four fingers. I never noticed that. Do you know how much of a blessing it is to me? To be able to look at something and just type. I can do all the symbols without looking. That is an accomplishment. I was 52 when I decided to learn to type. You want to learn to read? There's no way in the world that you accept not being able to read so you can study the Bible for yourself. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody here. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you to refuse to be dependent on somebody else for your salvation. You pray, God, I want to read. Lord, I want to be able to read. Pray. You need to pray. God, I want to be able to read. But it's not enough to pray and ask God to help you to read. You got to, you're going to have to put some effort into it. That's what I told him about the typing. I said, Lord, you're calling me to write. I can't write hunting pecking. It's too frustrating. It takes too long. You want me to write? You're going to have to anoint me to learn how to type. Now, I, I, I can't do 100 words a minute, but I can type as fast as I can think. That's all. Hey, do you know how dangerous it is to type faster than you think? <laughs> how do you know what you're typing if, you're, if you type faster than you're thinking? <laughs> I only need to be able to type as fast as I think. I don't care whether that's 30 words a minute or 50 words a minute or whatever it is. That's as fast as I need to type. I haven't, I haven't, probably haven't used Mavis Beacon in probably eight years or more. It's not a question of needing to improve. I can type anything I want to without looking at the keys, and I can type as fast as I think. I can look at the screen and type an email, and it goes on the screen as fast as I think it, and I don't have to think to spell the words anymore. Right? I was 52 when I started that. Don't tell me you cannot learn to do what you need to do 
to be able to be used of God. You just have to make an effort. That means you have to turn the TV off and do something constructive. Right. You have to do that. Why? What if, what if suddenly the government changed and our freedoms were taken away? And they put a chain on this door. And we couldn't any longer have fr- the freedom to have public meetings. Could you be saved? Could you help others be saved when you were the only person available to them to lead them? Don't scoff and say it'll never happen. Don't do it. It wouldn't shock me. Why do you think I have been so adamant over the years about congregations and care groups and home Bible studies? Because I've been trying to help you to learn how to survive if you have no other choice. That's not the only reason we do all that, but it is a significant reason we do it. Whoa, I don't see anybody sleepy right now. If this comes across wrong and it sounds like I'm tooting my horn, whatever, I'm not because everything I know, the Lord taught me, none of it I came up with myself. But trust me, there's always a reason. Sometimes I choose to tell the reasons. Sometimes I don't. But I promise you, there's always a reason. And usually, there's a short-term reason, and a medium-term reason, and a long-term reason, and they're all connected to the same exact thing. And if you doubt that, you're welcome to talk to Brother Mike Yu, who has studied how I operate for a long time. He tells me things about myself I didn't know. For instance, he said, Brother, one day he said to me, Brother Wright, do you know you operate on the 5149 principle? I do. He said, Yeah, you do. I've watched you. I've watched it. You determine. That if you can get more good out of a person than the trouble they'll cause you, you're willing to use them. And that you don't give up on anybody until they're causing more trouble than what they can contribute. He said, as long as they're, what they're doing for the kingdom is 51% good and only 49% bad, you're going to stick with them. I sat there and listened to him talk. I said, that's exactly right. I don't know if I'd have put it in that terminology, but that's exactly how I operate. Anybody want to know why I operate like that? Anybody want to know? That's exactly right. 
Where do I get that from? Ever heard of the Bible? I treat people like I want to be treated. You say, really? You want to be treated like that? Yeah. Yeah. I want somebody to tell me the truth when I need to hear the truth. It's not a question of whether I like it or not. I just want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. Yes, that's how I want to be treated. I don't like hearing tales about people. You know why? Because I don't want people telling tales about me. I hear something about somebody. 99% of the time I'm going to you and say, what about this? Why? Because that's what I hope somebody will do for me. Give me the benefit of the doubt. How can I get, get you to give me the benefit of the doubt? I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. How about this one? <laughs> Accepting people that don't agree with you. As a leader, as a husband, as a parent, if you can't handle leading people that don't agree with everything you do and say, you're going to, you're probably already on value. Oh, and by the way, it ain't working. One of the greatest revelations of my life when I realized that one person I was leading as a pastor agreed with everything I did, including my sons and my wife. Oh, and by the way, brother, you told me that uh, last week when I was talking about one of my sons concerning it, relevancy stuff and all that, some of y'all were trying to figure out if it was David or Joel. I said one of my spiritual sons. I didn't say one of my sons. I said, I said what I meant, meant what I said. One of my spiritual sons. He's not a part of this church. Hopefully he's a part of the church. But he's not a part of this church. Just thought I'd clear that up in case one of you wondered which one of my boys was going off in the deep end. Don't worry about my boys. I've taken life-saving classes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Poor old Joel. He'd have friends say, let's go do this. Not me. I come home, my dad's going to know where I've been. <laughs> And you know something? He was right. Because <laughs> Joel and I wouldn't counsel where he'd sit down and tell me what he was doing. We'd counsel where he'd sit down and I'd tell him what he was doing. That's a good thing to establish. Hallelujah. Well, you think I'm rambling and I'm not. I never ramble. That's not ego talking. I'm going to say that again. I'm not trying to cover up my old age because I've been doing this for years. I don't ramble. <laughs> Thank you for your perspective, Sister Leatherberry. 
It sure keeps things in balance around here. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I, I do, uh, I do go down rabbit trails because there's something to be found down them, but I don't ramble. Anyway, uh, obviously we're not meeting next month, next Saturday. Uh, I forget. Are we meeting the Saturday after that? I don't remember. If you will, you'll get an email reminding you if it's the week after that. I, I did announce the schedule for March. My brain is uh, not remembering right now, which is not hugely unusual. Yes, sir. I get home. No, I get home Friday night, Friday. I, th- I think it is. I think it's three times next month. I think. I'm not sure. I think it's three times, though. But anyway, uh, I will have available for you the test questions for the month uh, next Sunday, next weekend. You will need to make sure you pick them up either uh, either at church on Sunday night or Monday night, uh, whatever. They will be available for you. Okay? Those of you that are going to D.C., God bless.